This week on Anbury, we are talking with Brandon Cox, owner and enrolled agent of BMC Accounting. Brandon graduated from the University of Toledo. He was preparing for graduation and not getting callbacks on internships for which he had interviewed. So he decided to start his own accounting firm that he has taken to a national level within two years of opening his doors. Join us as we talk through his journey of serving in the U.S. Army as an LP to student and VA housekeeper to building his own business, where he is defining his success, designing his future, and creating a legacy. He's going to offer you great insight on startups and building your business as well. If you'd like to utilize Brandon's services, you can reach out to him via his website at www.bmcaccountingllc.com. Enjoy. Today, we are talking live with Brandon Cox. He is How are we doing owner. today? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing outstanding. Awesome. Well, you are the owner and enrolled agent of your own accounting firm, BMC yes. Accounting, LLC. Where are you located at? So I'm actually in uh, Toledo, Ohio, uh, but I do business pretty much every day in most every state so far. And that that's what it means to be an enrolled agent. You can help anyone, right. anywhere. Yeah, one of the major benefits of being an enrolled agent is that it's a federal license. So it's the only type of profession actually that the IRS actually tests. Unlike uh, CPAs or tax attorneys, it might be restricted by some of their state uh, requirements. But I get to work nationally, so I can help people in, in very many different states. And uh, there's usually probably about 15 or 20 states that I have most of my clients in. So I'm kind of all over the place. So why did you choose to go, and I'm going to get into when you were younger and everything that led up to where you are right now, but mm -hmm. I'm curious, why did you choose to go the enrolled agent route and not CPA? Sure. So the, the main reason was uh, when I was in school is, is when I had actually started this business, and the whole point of it was to be uh, in lieu of an internship. And I, I thought that that was going to be a successful venture. It turned out to be that nobody really seemed to be uh, very thrilled about somebody starting their own business and then trying to get hired in uh, to work for a CPA firm. One of the things you have to do in order to get your CPA license, uh, at least in Ohio, is that you have to have 150 credit hours, which I would have had. But you also have to work under another CPA for a few years in order to uh, pass that. Um, exam, be able to sit for the exam and pass all the different parts of it. And that wasn't something I was going to be capable of doing if I'm working on my own. I don't have another CPA that I can work with. So I took the more tax specialized route and I took the enrolled agent uh, tests and, and examinations. And that's what I went through for that. And how many people out there are confused between the difference between enrolled <laughs> agent and CPA? Right. So I'm constantly doing enrolled agent education. So a lot of people don't know what they are. They've never heard of EAs or know what they do. Uh, so I pretty much give them a, a quick breakdown like, hey, you know, I'm a federally licensed tax professional. I'm able to practice in any state. And I do, you know, bookkeeping, payroll taxes, the whole shebang, everything that a CPA or a tax attorney does. And in fact, I actually have the same uh, unrestricted representation rights that they hold as well, too. Well, let's uh, go backwards for a little bit. Let's rewind. Let's mm -hmm. think back when you were a young boy and you were thinking about what your life was going to be when you were finally an adult. What was what was that dream that you had? 
So growing up, I always really wanted to be a police officer. So, I mean, that was something that was kind of ever since I was like two, I was always playing with like cop toys and things of that, uh, that, that genre. So it was only natural that as I grew older, I always wanted to get into the military to, to become a military police officer. And that's kind of where I thought uh, my success in my life was going to be is I would go into the military, I'd go be an MP for, you know, so many years, go probably on a deployment and then come back and become a uh, police officer for whether it be state highway patrol or some local unit or anything like that. And that's, that's kind of where I thought that success was going to be for me. And it turned out to be much different. <laughs> so when did you decide to go into the army? Mm -hmm. So I always knew that I was going to join the military. I wasn't sure which branch I really wanted to go into. I always had armies kind of like my number one, um, just because they were the only ones, at least at the time, that would guarantee a job. So as long as you pass like their ASVAB, that you would be able to choose what job you specifically wanted. Uh, but the other branches didn't necessarily, you know, per, you know, make that part of the contract. They might say, yeah, you're at the needs of the, Mil the Marine Corps or the Air Force or whatever. But if the Army, if I say, hey, I want to be an MP and you pass the test or whatever, then you can go in to be an MP. And that was exactly what I wanted. So I didn't really want to go in thinking I would do one thing and then get something different instead. Right. And so you joined Army. You became an MP. Yep. Uh, what year was that? That was 2007. So now that's, what, 12 years ago, almost to the. Yeah, just about 12 years exactly now. <laughs> I'm, I'm hitting, um, getting very close to my 20 year. Oh, so, wow. yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and you had boots on the ground while you were in, correct? What's that? You had boots on the ground while you were in. You went overseas, you deployed? Right, yeah. Yeah, I went to Afghanistan 2010 to 2011. And that was right during the time that uh, President Obama had made a push for an extra 30,000 troops to go to Afghanistan. And I got... Uh, to be one of those out of that 30,000. It's funny because I was actually stationed in Germany, my first duty station. And, you know, at the time I was single, I didn't have really any need to go anywhere else. I was like, well, why don't I try to go to Korea? So I sent an email to uh, Branch looking to get uh, even the two-year hardship tour. And I got a one-sentence reply back that said, you're going to Fort Drum, New York to meet up your unit to go to Iraq. And then, of course, as I got to Fort Drum, they were obviously not in Iraq. They're like, oh, yeah, we're leaving in three weeks to go to Afghanistan. So uh, it was quite, you know, most of the first half of the time I was in the military, I wasn't even in the U.S. And did anything happen while you were in the military to decide your shift into accounting or did that happen later? It really happened more so later, um, you know, because I really started to use the military as a way to build my career path for going into civilian law enforcement. Because after I came back from Afghanistan, I, I worked, you know, your typical uh, line unit that you would do. You go out to the field and do training and whatnot for a couple months. I got my E5. And then I ended up going on to the criminal investigation division's drug team. So that was an opportunity for me to go do some overt and covert drug work for, for the military and use that as kind of like a nice little resume bullet for when I got out. And that was what I had always planned on doing afterwards, too. So now the military didn't really give me much uh, going towards accounting, to be honest with you. None at all. So when you got out, what was your first, first uh, action that you took when you got out of the Army? Sure. So, of course, you know, when you're transitioning out, the, the first thing that's always on your mind is money, right? So you got to be able to, to make a living. And when I got out in 2013, I thought that I was going to do like, you know, some some probably retail or sales or something like that. So I went and worked at uh, 
place called ABC Warehouse. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I don't know if it's a regional thing, but it's basically a department store that sells like appliances and whatnot. And the job was just god awful. It was, I worked there for two weeks. I couldn't stand it. You didn't make very much money. The people were really not a pleasure to work with. They didn't hold the same values that I had been used to for the past six years. Um, so I really struggled with, with trying to find something to work for. And then I was like, okay, well, I need to find something maybe geared towards law enforcement. So then I worked at Macy's for a loss prevention officer, actually. And I only did that for a month, too, because it was the same thing. Uh, the environment wasn't that great. It's not something I was used to. And it was very, very low pain. I had no benefits. So I, did, I decided at that time that college was going to have to be my best option to really use uh, my GI Bill. Why didn't you go into a police department, a sheriff's department? Why was that not the move? If that sure. was your path. Mm -hmm. So the way that it would work, at least here where I'm at, and every state's going to be a little bit different, but in Ohio, most uh, departments will not hire you unless you have what's called the OPATO, Ohio Peace Officer Training Academy. It's the, the police academy certificate, right? So you have to either pay for that out of pocket or you go through a college or whatever, and you can do it there. So that was my goal is I was going to go through college, collect the housing and, and education. And then I thought maybe that would make me more suitable for unemployment. And then also, you know, maybe I can get on an agency that would pay for that. I surely didn't have the money for it at the time, uh, but that just was not happening. And in fact, I even went through the hiring process for the Ohio State Highway Patrol uh, before I switched over to accounting all the way through to pass the polygraph examination. And then I got cut from it. Hmm. Um, and when you started school, you were working at, or during the course of school, you were working at the Veterans Hospital, right? Yeah. And housekeeping and maintenance. Right. Yeah. So I actually, that was my last, uh, last job before I went full-time self-employed into my company is I was actually doing college full-time. I was working at the Department of Veterans Affairs Hospital full-time, and I was working on building my business at the same time. Uh, in fact, I did a lot, of, a lot of my work would actually get done at the VA sometimes, you know, when you got downtime, you, you take calls and do the things that you have to do. And when you were going to school, you were going to school for criminal justice. That was your, right. that was your so, goal. Yep. Up until about 2016, 2017. So yeah, about two and a half, three years into the college, I actually made a, sw uh, a swap to go to accounting. Actually, I only have one more class left and I can have a bachelor's in criminal justice, but I decided, you know, at this point, it's just not worth it. Uh, but I took an accounting elective and they just talked about like income statements and balance sheets. And they talked about how everything is linked together. And I was like, this is kind of cool. I can see how this would be a, a, maybe a better career path than uh, criminal, something in criminal justice. Because uh, I was not you know, doing very well trying to be able to get a job as a, as a police officer. And I knew corrections was not where I wanted to go. I didn't want to go into probation. So I was pretty narrowed in what I would have been able to do if I stayed in the criminal justice field. And just wasn't panning out. So I switched over to accounting and I really haven't looked back. So would you say that was your driving force financial? So, yeah, I, I'd say it was the initially to make the, the first change to go from one thing that I've been working for the last 10 years for. Uh, yeah, that really would have been the major push would have been securing some sort of life afterwards. And outside of just being able the way accounting works and everything being linked together. And there's an analytical part to that. Um, there's a data part to that. What was it that really draw, drew you to do this? 
Okay. Yeah. So actually it was right after I had started my company. Cause like I said, I did it in, in, in lieu of an internship thinking that that was going to help me. But one of the things that actually came out of that is my first client was actually my next door neighbor uh, across the street from me. So he owns a landscaping company and he was not doing very well with his bookkeeping or any of his taxes or anything like that. And I was at this point, like maybe two thirds of the way through the accounting program. And I was like, well, let's see if what I'm learning in school is actually going to apply. And I was able to backdate his books for like two years worth. And I did it relatively quick. And I didn't even use software. I did it the old, old school way, hand gaming it. So I, you know, it was almost like I was going back in time trying to do this. And I, I really enjoyed it. And it was, what was really great about it is when I got done, I was able to show him that, you know, hey, you're like, you're actually losing some money here. We need to figure out ways to solve this. So that way you don't go under in the next year. Because uh, in Ohio, at least with landscaping companies, it's seasonal work. You know, it's not like down in maybe Texas where it's always a lot warmer. Uh, Ohio, we have all four seasons sometimes in one day. But, you know, so event, you know, eventually the, the, the heavy season for him would stop. And I didn't want to see his business fail. And he was on that path of doing it. It was, it was kind of that moment of knowing that you're able to do something for somebody, really help them out, not just get their books more, but really make sure that they're going to be okay too and that was that just was seem like really really cool aspect to me so you're taking accounting and you're and you're going above and beyond you're you're taking it past you're not just doing the accounting needs of companies you're finding a way for them to sustain growth right yeah absolutely so that's one of the nice things is that when i was you know when you're able to really sit down with like a small business owner uh, and say, hey, look, this is what's going on with your company. I can see that A, B, and C are happening. You know, a really great example is lease payments. A lot of times people will lease equipment because, you know, they may not have enough credit to buy something to finance a property or a piece of equipment. And they don't understand that built into that lease payment is a massive interest payment. And I would show them like, hey, if you would go out and buy this at even a really bad interest rate, it's still better than the interest rate you're paying for this to rent it and you're not getting any benefit out of it. So, you know, I, there's ways to save money, thousands of dollars every month very, very quickly if you, but you have to know what to look for. And your clientele, are they mostly small business entrepreneurs? Are they large businesses, medium-sized businesses, or do you have a book of business that kind of runs across all levels? Okay. Yeah. So most of my clients make somewhere between 5 million a year in revenue and less. So uh, I would say small to the larger small businesses, you know, when you start getting into the uh, eight figure businesses, that's well beyond what one person really can handle. There's no way that one person can handle that amount of volume. Uh, you know, my business has grown too. I actually have hired my first employee a couple of weeks ago and she's doing quite well, uh, but I still got some more room to, to grow until I can get to those larger corporate type of clients but i really like the small business because of the personal connection you make you know unlike where you work for somebody in a larger company you might talk you might have a connection as a liaison with somebody and that manager gets promoted or moves and gone and they got to build up a new relationship with somebody again and again and again it's it just doesn't have to me the same weight and same benefit that you do when you talk with small business owners you're always going to talk to the owner of someone that's a very major key player in the business and actually will listen to your advice Right. Because they, it's necessary for right. them to be around in a year or two. Yeah. Is that exactly. also part of your drive that you like to stay in this industry, that you're really getting down on the ground floor with someone and figuring out a way to make their vision an actual reality for them? 
Yeah, it's it's one of the things that I think makes me the most happy about the way that I've chosen how to, to, to guide my life now. You know, because it's and it's unfortunate, but I have seen a couple of businesses fold under, um, and it was just because they, you know, were very lax or very poor with their bookkeeping or tax reporting. They didn't really pay attention to it, and by the time I got around, they, they were basically on life support, and I was doing what I could to keep them sustained for where they're going. Sometimes that you know that really happens. So you get to learn some of the same time the lessons of what happens with other companies. Even if, like, let's say you have a construction company and then you have a real estate investor, right? So two different people, uh, two different type of industries. But the lessons you can learn from one, you apply to the other. And a lot of times people just don't think about that. Oh, well, that's, you know, a different industry. That doesn't apply to me. Yes, it probably will, actually. And it's kind of cool to be able to see how, you know, one principle or one element does really work for everybody or doesn't work for everybody. So you have designed, you've been able to, would you call it, fall into or did you make a cognizant choice like no this is going to be the way my life is this is going to be my definition of success mm-hmm. from here on I, out I think that that really came about after I had uh one of my I guess my last efforts at trying to get into uh like an actual corporate position instead of being a small business owner myself I you know I went out did the they did the wine and dine they take you to the five star restaurant you do the interview with them and you meet all the owners and partners in the business and this is a very large company and you know I was pretty impressed I thought I had it and then a couple of weeks go by and of course you know you get the generic email sorry you have not been selected for this position or whatever you know excuse they give you and I was like well the only way that I'm going to get anywhere uh, at this point is if I do it myself because I know that I can do what I want to do. And I know that I'm, I'm going to be able to build connections with the people that I like and work from that. So I think that that was really the kind of thing I realized it's time to take this on a further path and a much more, uh, you know, boots on the ground approach rather than just hoping that this will lead me elsewhere. So how do you how do you align this? Because there are people out there that's watching. You went out for internships. You weren't getting internships. So you started your own. You started your own path. You're like, fine, I'll figure it out from here. Thanks. And then you start interviewing for corporations and they very diplomatically say thanks, but no thanks. And you're like, that's fine. I'm going to keep going. How do you keep the confidence that you're going to be able to uh, rise above that, that you're going to be able to continue to grow? How do you, because there are people out there that are, uh, I believe on the line of starting something on their own and they go and they look for that reinforcement of expertise, knowledge, um, ability. And if you're not getting it from over there, how do you manifest that or how do you muster that yourself? Right. I think that, you know, maybe it's just in my circumstance. I, I, and I think that this would actually be a lot of people's too, is that you don't have many other routes, you know? So like I had mentioned, I've been trying and trying and trying to get, you know, whether it was criminal justice or into accounting or other corporate jobs, and I just wasn't getting taken. So I my options were running kind of limited on what I could do to have a somewhat decent lifestyle without, you know, making only 10 or $11 an hour for the rest of my life. I knew that that's not what I wanted to be like, you know, and I think that that was kind of always in the back of my mind is like, all right, well, you have a lot to on the line for this. But at the same time, you don't have, really have that much to lose. I mean, the business doesn't take off. It doesn't go the way you plan. I, I mean, you're still just where you're at now. You're not going to go further down. Because, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to do uh, a full-time job while I was still making my business. And that doesn't always happen for everybody. So, 
uh, you know, in those cases, it's even more difficult, I think, than what I had to go through. Well, what I find interesting is that you had you had companies that were saying thanks, but no thanks after meeting you and seeing what you could do. And it's you're not uh, uh, you're not someone that's not a big deal. You're kind of a big deal. I mean, I just um, going through you are getting so many reviews on how much you're just helping people and how the words that are being used, brilliant, just amazing. I couldn't have done this without him. If, if you need any help, any advice, you need to go see Brandon Cox. And it's, it's very interesting to me that the mm -hmm. larger corporations that you would sit down with would not want to just yeah, make I know. you part of their team. Right. And, and I think it's a different line of thinking. And, and I think it shows like with what you're talking about, how I, you know, it's very flattering to be able to hear a lot of other people be very happy with what I've done to be able to help them or even just simple advice, even if they don't ever end up paying me for any services. And I think that right there is the key is that I'm willing to take the time to talk to somebody and maybe explain something that nobody else is going to because they're like, well, here's my uh, retainer. Go ahead and hit that first, and then we can go ahead and talk. And even then, I may not do as great of a job. It's like, why would you want to go handle those people? You know, and I think that that's where, you know, like when you think of, I mean, think of the most basic companies like Liberty Tax and H&R Block, right? They don't generally are, they're not known for customizing well-built out plans. They're, they're kind of the... You know, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but like the Walmart of accounting, you go in, you pay cheap, pay cheap price, you get in, you get out. You know, that, that's right. their business model. And that's just not how I run mine. And I have a different line of thinking with dealing with business owners because it matters to them. You know, if you make a mistake and you miss something, that could have been $2,000, you know, out of, you know, more than taxes that they should have paid. Well, for a very big company, $2,000 is much, but for somebody that's only bringing in a little bit, and that's how they feed their family, $2,000, that's a whole month's pay maybe for somebody. Very big deal. It's very important. You know, and it's, it's cool to get to see those kind of wins. I like seeing those. Well, I, this is the second time you and I have actually spoken. Mm -hmm. And both times I've walked away going, there's so much more I can learn from, from this gentleman, but he is, he's on it. He completely understands. And a lot of people that are going out and venturing, they have this, um, this great idea, this vision, and then they get started and they're working on the mechanics of building a, a, a brand or a company or um, what the day-to-day -day operations, but they're not really looking at, they're hoping the money will come. But they're right. not, they're not really, I don't think every day looking at the inflow and outflow of what they're spending versus what kind of return that they're going to get. And yeah. we're actually getting, oh, okay. We, we got a couple of comments. Um, Lisa's with us. Hi, Lisa. I'm glad that you can hear us now. Um, hey, Lisa. Yeah. Glad to have you hop in yeah. here. It was nice talking to you before. Yeah, and she says she's going to use you for her taxes precisely because you were willing to talk to her earlier when she started her company. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important, and that might be the big reason. I'm I'm glad that you didn't get uh, you didn't get any offer letters. Quite yeah, honestly, I, I think you're <laughs> I think you're in the on the path that you're supposed to be on. 
I agree. And it was kind of funny, too, because when you when you go to sit for the EA examinations, they use the uh, company Prometric. So, like, those are the people that go out and they you have to go and you do the examinations. And it's a three-part test to be able to get your EA license. And what was really funny is that last interview that I was talking about with the company that, you know, did the wine in and dining and met the partners and the owners, they were literally the next building over. So when I got done with my last part of my EA exam, I just kind of sat there and laughed in the parking lot. Like, well, you're lost, you know? Right. I, it's just, it's the, the path that we all take to get where we're, where we're going to go or ultimate success or contentment, if you will. Um, I think is a very interesting one. And you have definitely um, not taken the one of, of least resistance. You mm. have, hit the obstacles you've overcome them and you've you've forged your own path what advice would you give someone else that is teetering kind of on they have a decision to make to abandon what they're doing because they're not feeling the traction they're not it wasn't what they thought it was going to be and they're ready to abandon it or they have a choice to forge on and keep going what would Mm. be your first piece of advice to them I think my first piece of advice, um, and it would probably be, I guess, a little unorthodox, is make sure that you have a lot of support. Uh, It's not easy if you're going to do this by yourself when you're at that, I call it the critical point. So that's the point where you're doing your business or you're trying to get this business or this dream launched off the ground. But at the same time, you have the other life, a full-time job or a family to take care of. You really need to make sure that you have that support before you even get into it. And if you don't have the support, then you're going to have to make the tough decision whether or not, you know, going towards something that could be a massive failure or a very good success is worth going towards. And it's going to be a different answer for every single person on to whether or not it really is necessary. And then, and the other thing, too, is just because you have a really great idea, unfortunately, doesn't always mean that it's going to pan out. You know, I look at bad ideas, right? So, like, look, my favorite bad idea I think of is the pet rock, right? That was the stupidest thing ever. But that dude made a ton of money, right? And, but it was short-lived. So, and I, I would hope that that guy would have realized that when he started this, like, hey, make money. That's a cash cow. Move on. Go out. Do something else. You may have to realize that or tweak your business model or whatnot just to make sure that it stays sustainable. If you stay concrete and don't adapt or innovate or move anything, you're never going to get anywhere. And you really have to make that that action. Business is fluid. I mean, it's living. It, yeah. it has to be able to move and breathe and grow or it's mm-hmm. going to wilt. Right. Uh, what about those that are going out there and they started, they started out strong, but now they're, they're in that moment. One that you referenced earlier, they're, they're kind of, they're not seeing any money coming in. They're having money going out and then, you know, they're trying to reinvest in the business. Maybe it's marketing, maybe it's equipment, uh, personnel, whatever that mm. looks like. And they're at that moment. What, what does that moment look like where, where they, you would walk in and go, stop, we need to pinpoint the bleeding, we need to stop the bleeding, we need to regroup. Yeah, so I would say that the first thing I would I would look for then is, is obviously their expenses and why, you know, what trends and, you know, and if you can't answer the trend and then it means you don't have the paperwork to back it up either. Uh, because when you have like, a, let's say a simple profit and loss or income statement, right? If it's at least somewhat well put together and by month, you know, not just one time a year, you can actually see where there might be peaks and valleys. And then you can go, okay, now let's take another further step into this. 
what did you do in March that was different than you did in May? Or what type of season is this in March versus May or whatever? So you can kind of build things in together go, okay, well, you know that you're going to have increased revenue here and then you're going to drop down for the next four months. Well, you have to build up 12 months worth of income in March to sustain the next quarter because it's going to eat more than that. So you have to be able to see the trends because revenue and income or revenue and expenses do not follow a parallel line. Many times they cross. Hopefully the goal is to always have revenue higher, but it doesn't always happen that way. And if it doesn't, you need to know why does that happen? Are all enrolled agents also business analysts, trend analysis? <laughs> I mean, are you, <laughs> no. are you, are you adding that on all a cart? <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty much. So it's it's funny because I do a lot of services that people just wouldn't really think of, like uh, for one, right? So if you need to start a business, I mean, you could start with me from day one into the day you sell your business. Uh, You know, granted that you don't get so huge that you would outgrow a one person or two person operation, but I file articles of organization. And we think about this and you go, okay, well, I can go to like legals and do that, right? For like two or three hundred dollars, you know, it's about the same. I charge about the same amount plus the state filing fees. But what you don't get, especially for these brand new business owners, is any sort of indication about what does that LLC mean? What is this S Corp? What did you just do? Did any, you know, how do you run this? How do you pay yourself? What's deductible? What's not deductible? Major, major consequences. So one of the things I put in with as like part of that package when you would start a business with me is an hour consultation just to learn about the most basic of taxes and accounting. And if you need to get like QuickBooks set up, we've set QuickBooks up so you know what's going on and how to properly keep track of your stuff. You know, so enrolled agents don't necessarily do this because they don't all have an accounting background where they went to school for it. Some just went through the tests and that's all they know, but that doesn't give you the full picture. You know, it's just like having a bookkeeper that doesn't know anything about taxes they're not going to be able to give you any sound advice or know what's going on without the other half. There's two portions in accounting and you really got to at least have a good fundamental basis in both of them. What is that character? What is that uh, trait that you have in you that you are consistently going above and beyond and giving more than what's expected to your clients outside of, what your industry might traditionally offer. Sure. I think it's, I think the, the characteristic trade in that is innovation. Um, you know, my, one of my favorite cases I like to look back at is, and it wasn't even all that long ago is look at Netflix, right? Netflix and, and Blockbuster. So Blockbuster didn't do any innovation. They stayed on their concrete path of just being a brick and mortar store, renting out videos, not realizing that very soon the internet was about to very well take them over. So if you don't innovate your business and you stick to one thing, well, then that's only one revenue stream that you can make. So if the only thing I did was taxes, for example, I would have maybe three or four good months worth of revenue. And then the other eight or nine where I have no money coming in, but I still have expenses in my business. Well, how do you supplement that? Other products and services that can also help benefit the clients that are also doing your taxes. So formative business, bookkeeping, payroll tax strategy and planning, all sorts of different things. You, you provide as much as possible to your clients. And that goes for any industry, you know, even as a retailer, if you're going to sell the clothes, well, maybe you can design some shirts too. That's something to help bring in extra sources of revenue, especially on the small business end. You know, there's different ways that you can innovate any industry to make more streams of revenue for the same business. You truly are innovating what, um, 
what any anyone that's not in the industry would would call accounting firm. Sure. Yeah. You're you're putting a whole new definition to it and really mm-hmm. being able to connect because um, I should not be involved in any accounting department anywhere ever. Uh, but just speaking to you, I feel like I could probably understand this a little mm-hmm. bit um, enough to make smarter, more lucrative decisions for my business personally, um, as long as I have someone with the intelligence such as yourself there. Mm-hmm. I don't think and, that's what most people feel like when they are going and looking at an accounting firm to hire. Right. And then the other thing, too, is that they always, you know, when you're first starting off, you're kind of bootstrapping. You're not really wanting to spend mm-hmm. a lot of money, you know, and of course, with any service, if you pay nothing, you're not going to get very much. But at the same time, this is one of those, to me, unique industries where I should be essentially paying for myself. Uh, when you think about like tax, like let's, here was a really great example is just the other day I did a return for somebody and uh, they were doing rental real estate. So they had a property that they were renting out a single family home. And he went out and did his own taxes before he had tried to contact me and the guy owed like $8,500. And I was like, all right, well, let's take a look at it. So I went through and I found extra things like different types of deductions, other credits or other things that he wasn't doing, like depreciation on the home. And we got him down to about $5,200 that he owed. I didn't charge him $3,000 to do that return, maybe five, you know, four or $500, but he made out $2,500 by hiring me. And that's, that's the thing that I think it, most people have to consider whenever they're going to outsource anything, whether it's advertising, if it's marketing, if it's accounting, lawyers, is, is this person bringing me anything that's going to get me more money as a business owner? This isn't you going shopping out for a new hat just to enjoy it. This is something that's got to help you grow. So if, if you know you hire someone and they're not being productive, or they're not showing results, you have to snip that, that relationship or find someone else that will. And that's a very good point because I don't think a lot of small business or entrepreneurs that are coming out and they do need to delegate. They need to find, mm-hmm. they need to find people smarter than them in areas that they're weak in, bring them to the table. But there is a return on that. So if you're going to pay someone um, that's not a sales, if they're sales, they need to be bringing in the revenue to cover what you're paying them to bring in that sales. But Mm -hmm. the other the other areas of business, marketing, uh, accounting, operations, they need to be covering costs on that. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Is there always going to be an ROI in business? On actions yeah, that you do, I think so. There's always an ROI. It might not be a very good ROI. It might be <laughs> negative, in fact. But everything has some sort of return on your investment. And, you know, even as simple as you know, like this BBB sign here, right? It costs mm-hmm. me twenty-seven dollars a month because I'm one person, so they only charge you know like twenty-seven dollars a month. I've made more than that twenty-seven dollars a month from maybe three customers, right? All it takes is a few things to produce that. So if I spend twenty-seven dollars a month times 12 in a year. So that's $300 a year. That might be one business, small, one small business tax return. It pays for itself. So if I have two people that even saw that on BBB and goes, okay, well that might help make my decision. Then that really provides a benefit. What a lot of times I do after the season is I send out uh, randomized sample surveys to my clients. I won't send them out to necessarily everybody, but I'll send them out and I'll, and I'll give them a list of different things. And I'm looking for particular things that matter. Like, 
did you did DVB matter, right? So like because we're talking about that. So did the Better Business Bureau, the fact that I was accredited by them and checked out with that, did that help make your decision? And if there was an overwhelming no, then get rid of BBB. They don't do anything for me. What's the point? You know, it's the same thing. Like if you were going to be a retailer uh, in e-commerce, did you find me on Facebook? If you had sampled out 2,000 people and four people said, yeah, I found you on Facebook, but neither one of those guys made a purchase, stop spending on Facebook. Go elsewhere. So at what point, where did you learn on, um, on doing that, on how to take the temperature of your investments to see if you're getting a return? That's really in the marketing and strategy, strategy mm-hmm. realm. Honestly, I got that from uh, my stats class when I was going through statistics initially. It was just kind of cool to see how you could get some basic stuff. And I, trust me, that is a whole other field in of itself. I don't even <laughs> claim to be great at stats. That is a very difficult and very challenging field. But even if you just learn some of the most basic concepts and stats and learning how to properly sample a base and you don't do it so you get a biased answer because that really makes the purpose you Mm -hmm. want an honest answer even if it sucks at least you can learn something from that and that's the that's the key element is you need to learn from it if you just get upset and discouraged and say i quit after this then it doesn't matter why did you bother doing it so all the entrepreneurs out there that that might be listening to this watching this they're i'm I'm confident that they're going to be very interested in talking to you, finding more about you. You've already done several podcasts, which they can find. We're going to have your contact information in the comments. Um, you. you have a website. You've, you've done anyone who's involved in the entrepreneur tribe. They can go in and, and just see the word of mouth, the reviews of the people that you've helped. Mm-hmm. Um, could you offer a little bit of advice on, those that are in the trenches of what they're doing, may it be a full social media business, may it be brick and mortar or an online business, and they are not doing any sort of analysis and they're just spending money trying to get the ad revenue, they're trying to get um, subscribers or they're trying to get customers and they are spending dollars on marketing and branding. Right. What should they be doing? Where can they collect information to mm-hmm. see if any of that, if any of that is worthwhile and something they should keep doing? Right. So, that, I mean, that is a good question. And really the best way I think in my mind to do that is first, you need to have some sort of record keeping, you know, preferably not the old school way, because it's very hard to manipulate data. I mean, if you think about like uh, uh, Google, right, like let's say they printed off all the information they had. How long would it take to find the simplest piece of info, right? So you have to be able to at least use some sort of technology, whether it's QuickBooks or Zero or, you know, WooCommerce or Shopify, whatever. They all have some helpful analytics. So you should be paying attention to those. And then if you don't know how to use those or you don't know or you want to test to make sure that those answers are reliable and they're not just selling their own product, use a third party, go to somewhere else. But the, the thing that is very, very important with that is you can only get out of that what you put into it. So like if someone comes to me and goes, hey, Brandon, I'd like to know whether or not you think, in your opinion, that A, made an uh, impact on my business. And if so, why? Or how did it impact my business? If I don't have all the information surrounding your business, it's not going to answer the question entirely. You know, so that's something you have to be able to do is know all the aspects about your own business. If you're just kind of shooting from the hip in your business, it won't last for long. 
No. And I think it's, I think it's more difficult when you're trying to, when you're virtual or your or you're online shop or what have you, and, and you're trying to reach a broader audience to collect and, and data mine that. But when you're going into on the other side of that, when you're going into uh, a brick and mortar business, maybe their construction, maybe it's mm-hmm. a retail business or a restaurant. What's that piece of advice that you would give them? Right. So I think then at that point, you'd have to really break down and, and make sure that like for construction, for example, job costing, it's not something you'd probably do as a business owner, but it's something that you should somewhat do with management. You know, each job has a cost, each job that you do with each action. So like uh, even social media, right? So like, let's say that a social media manager is going to have a couple different clients and one of their clients, they're going to have uh, costs that bur- you know are a burden on the business owner, not the social media management company, you have to be able to know all those different costs. Go, okay, well, this client is going to cost me X amount of dollars. So let's say $300 to do this, but how much money am I making out of this? So you have to be able to trace each job. If you just see money in and money out, it doesn't answer the question. You have to allocate it to particular jobs or products or specific services you offer. Everything that you sell should have part of that cost built into it. Nothing should not have any value in it. Everything should be well above cost, you know, otherwise you can't make a profit. And yes, I'll have to know how much everything costs. <laughs> and this is not something that you need to be putting off on day two or week six. Mm-hmm. You need to start out the gate with this. Right. And, you know, pricing is, is fluid. You have to be adaptive to it, but you also need to know where that break even line is or where that no go zone is where you don't want to go lower because it's just not worth it. You know, so you, you have to be able to, to measure that. And the only way to do that is with some sort of record keeping and data entry. So those that are out there that have uh, started a business, maybe they're six months, a year in, and they haven't really been paying attention to it. It would you say that it's um, it's too late or is this something that they can just start doing today and, get that baseline and start building from there. Sure. You can start whenever. I mean, ideal day to start that is yesterday. So anytime that you're going to start a new action, the best time to do it as soon as it's, you know, well thought out and planned is now, you know, don't do it hastily. Make sure it's actually put together properly. You have, if you're going to outsource something, whether that is marketing or accounting or, you know, branding or whatever, that, you know, someone in that chain is able to do it proficiently. And then that's where you, where you really need to see it. Okay, well, let's do it now. And you are about to, on that, I, I won't keep trying to bleed you for free advice, but you are coming up on an anniversary of your business. Yeah, so I actually started my business in uh, June or July of 2017. So this is actually getting ready to be the close of my second year. And it's it's very cool to see where I started on day one to where I'm going now. And it makes me very excited to see where even a year from now or two years or five years from now goes. You know, I have big plans and big dreams for this company, but it's you have to take it day at a time. So I just keep trying to do the same thing that everybody else is doing. So you're applying the principles. You are definitely applying principles that you are asking others to do in your own business. So your kind of proof is in the pudding. Mm-hmm. Right. You are practicing what you're preaching, what you're teaching to right. other individuals. And but even doing that and being able to look at the analytics, being able to look at the trends and make smart decisions based on that data and those trends. Does the growth 
and the momentum that BMC accounting has, does that some days even surprise you? Right. And you know, there, and it's, it's, I'm no different than any other business. There'll be a couple of days where I might not get an invoice paid. I just didn't make any money for two or three days. And then there's a couple of days where it's like everybody and their brother just happens to be in front of me. You know, business runs that way. It's interesting. It comes into waves and, the you know the the thing that make it sustainable and successful or maintainable is what did you just do to help change that other than outside circumstances that you can't control so you have to be able to see that and i i don't know it's it's kind of cool to, to be able to see that momentum go up and down and up and down it's just like the stock market if you look over time you know it goes up and down up and down up and down it, it hopefully you just like any other business you want it to always eventually keep going up but there's going to be dips in it too how do you keep your sanity through those ups and downs? <laughs> um, I, I honestly, I think that that just has to do with a lot of mental training from being in the military has helped me out with that. Just uh, honestly, a lot of it is, is ignoring some of the bad things that come to you or, or accepting them. You know, if like, for example, I, I made it, I did make a mistake the other, the other day, just for a good example, I quoted somebody a price way back in April. Well, it's July now. I don't remember that price. So I went to go charge them for, you know, the service that they got. And it was, you know, quite a bit more because I had forgotten about this long time ago thing. And I go, oh, you know what? All right, fine. I did. I can see the evidence and it. I'll honor it and refund a portion of it to you. So, you know, that's, that's just part of the way it's going to go. Wow. And you are very active in the veteran community. You're still out, you know, outreaching, you're still serving your fellow vets. Um, mm -hmm. Is that always going to be a component and a cornerstone? Is that part of the thing that keeps continuing to drive you and motivate you? Right. I really like working kind of with our own kind, you know, it's, it's a different type of person when you speak to someone who's been in the military, not that there's anything wrong with those that haven't, it's just, they see the world maybe a little differently. Uh, and it's not like that for everybody, but um, I don't know. There, it's just cool to always have a, like an instant small connection with somebody. You can meet somebody on the street randomly with two people, one being that had served in the military and one that had not, and the chances are if you both served, whether they were, you know, 40 years difference and apart, there's going to be so much more that you can connect to on a personal level. And I think that that's very important in, in, in any business is personal connection. So I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not, that's not your, your vertical to say. Um, you are servicing industries and individuals across the nation. Right. Um, but I do, I see you giving, um, giving just attention and care, um, in our closed groups with, with other veterans. You can yep. tell that it's something that's really important to continue to serve for you. Right. I do it a lot. I do a lot more, I think, for my, my veteran and military clients than I do for those that are not, or at least a lot more education, a lot more uh, reaching out the hand, you know, uh, versus when someone hasn't been maybe in the military. It's just a different relationship. It is. And I, I find a lot of military because I, I interview, um, I, I interview entrepreneurs and people that are designing the life that they want. And I, I posed out and you responded to one of those, Hey, I'm looking to fill interview slots. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of veteran entrepreneurs out there versus yeah. civilian entrepreneurs. Why do you think vets are out there just kind of hell bent on forging their own path? <laughs> 
Uh, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of really different reasons why, but I think probably the most important reasons uh, are the experiences that we have versus what people have went to like maybe college and didn't go into the military. Right? Like, so maybe the traditional path uh, of what you might see right now. So I, I think people just have a different viewpoint on how they want to handle their life. And people are getting a lot more educated too, I think as well. And a lot of people realize that if you really do start a business and you do it the right way, you can become very successful. You can make some decent cash. But most importantly is that you can live a better life than you can. Nobody likes going to that job where they look for Friday every week. You know, and if your business is running like that, then you need to go find something else. But not too many people's own business. They go, man, I can't wait until the weekend so I can quit, so I can stop working my own job. You know, like, right. you know, I think it's just we have a different viewpoint on how we want to handle the rest of our lives. And um, it's really something to be able to sit down and talk with someone you have really gone out and designed your idea of success and the life that you have how is your work-life balance it's gotten better and you know initially especially um you know in the last uh, i'd say probably the end of the first year and going into my second year in business is really when things were just coming to that critical breaking point of hey do you chase this business or do you stop here and just stay working full time. That's a part, and, and a lot of people are going to have to deal with that. And sometimes it may take years. Um, fortunately for me, it didn't take years. It took maybe probably a good year of just maybe 16, 18 hour days working, managing, helping out with family, and still doing it. And it, and it's tough. But once you get to that point where you know that you have reliable sources of income every month and it's predictable, that's when you need to start outsourcing some of those functions that you're doing too much of so you can have that work-life balance if that's the whole point of being a business owner you know i don't live to work 18 hour days i don't want to do that for the rest of my life eventually i'd like to just kind of oversee the function of a business you know in 20 years but that's that's still to come and what was that preparation when you were when you were in that critical decision making moment of okay i can keep going or i can take a much safer root and and get a nine to five and a constant paycheck mm-hmm. and you decided nope i'm gonna keep forging my path i'm gonna keep building this business what was the preparation that you took in order to make sure that was the right decision for you so i went for me with a seasonal trend uh and i think that that's important to time out if you're at that spot is when is the time that you're going to get a good amount of revenue to be able to sustain the rest of the times that may not while you're continuing to build. So for me, I did it right in the beginning of January, like right before tax season. So for the six to eight months prior to that, I've been putting in a lot of sweat, uh, sweat equity, a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of conversations with people just to build, hopefully, potential clients for during the tax season that would allow me to lift off the ground and stay that way for some time. So I think that, you know, being able to time it with a trend is important, you know. Well, we are actually closing in on our hour. We have about it 15 is, more it? minutes. <laughs> yeah, this went by really fast. Mm, I think so. <laughs> and um, you gave us a lot of good information. You gave us a lot of, um, I think, a lot of things that we can take back to the table and kind of reflect on put into play, really think about, um, is there anything that you feel needs to just be said to 
those that are wanting to venture out on their own or in that moment of do I or don't I? Mm -hmm. I think the, the most important part that you have to, you know, thing that needs to be really said is anything that you're going to do, it's, you can do it. It's not going to be easy. So no matter what it is that you do, if you've done something for 30 years and you decide to go out on your own, and I see that a lot, especially with like the rehab uh, rehab construction industry, a lot of times people work for those for 30 years and go out on their own. It's not easy, but it's, to me, it's just fun. I think it's, that's the thing is you need to have fun with what you're doing. If it's stressing you out, take a step back and try again another time. What's the one thing that... I know that there's a multitude of things. There's probably <laughs> sure. a plethora of things, but what is your top two um, factors that you've seen that dictate a business being successful or unsuccessful? What are those I top two? Sure. I think the number one, and then this is very important to me, is your customer relationships. You have to treat those customers like you want them to come back. Right. So you got to treat them like people that you would want to have beer with. Go sit down and eat dinner with you want to be able for the most part, especially in the service industry. Really, that's important. So if you're providing for personal services to somebody, you have to have that person like you, you know, and, and it needs to be genuine. It can't be fake. People will see fake over time, especially if you have two mm -hmm. people that talk to each other. And go, Hey, he doesn't treat me like that. He treats me totally different. And you can know that. Somebody isn't genuine in the way that they treat people. And I think that that's number one is, is just what would you do if you were that customer and you just did your, your action to them? Would you be happy or would you be mad? I think that's probably uh, my number one thing. And then my number two would be is I would say pay attention to your money and keep it tight in the beginning. You know, even as you keep going, just because you make $100,000 a year doesn't need that you need to spend $90,000 a year. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, how much money would you say needs to be in reserve when they start? There's a, I, I think that there's a common belief that you need to, before you venture out on your own, you need to have six months of expenses and savings until you turn. Would you agree with that or not? I don't think I would. And I think the reason why I would not agree with something, especially that long too, is because, I mean, if you think of for most people's living expenses, let's say they, they had bills for about $3,000 a month, right? So if you do that for six months, that's $18,000. Someone that doesn't have a very good job, a well-paying job, may never build that up. And if they do, they're probably going to spend it on something else. So I don't think that having reserves necessarily is indicative of being able to, su to succeed. I think the thing that people should be aiming for is that instead of waiting for over time for the business to be become successful, is that they should start off that way. So, uh, you know, work as long as you can, you know, side by side with the business until you know that if I let go of my training wheels, am I okay? Do I have enough contracted revenue every month? Do I have enough predictability in my month to month sales and income that I can go ahead and just do it? That was not the answer I was expecting from you. <laughs> I'm it sure was it wasn't. <laughs> I was expecting, well... That's nice. But if you can get a year, then that would be better. That was, yeah. I think, what I would never have been able to. I could hardly save up three weeks worth of pay if I were to try to do that. I would still be doing the same job. And I think that's what a lot of people hear and they keep trying it and they go, well, it's not working. Well, that's because that's probably not the best goal for someone to set, I don't think. Would you be interested? I'm going to put you on the spot. I hope you don't mm -hmm. mind. 
<laughs> Would you be interested in doing a follow-up interview with me on just concentrating how to make the leap? And yeah, how that'd to be build? cool. Yeah, because it, it's interesting because it's so different for a lot of people. So I think if you kind of look at different people who do that and what their situation was like, and maybe if it's similar to yours, then that would be a path to follow because my advice may not be the best for another person, but there could be 10 others out there like, dude, that is exactly where I'm at right now. I'm so glad you said yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we are going to frame up those details and I would like to get that done in the next, you know, two to three weeks and we could possibly sure. do another it won't have to be on a Sunday, but I think there's, I feel like we just, it's been an hour, but we've only scratched the surface. Right. I would agree. Ah, well, do you have any uh, big plans going on for the rest of the day? Uh, I think we're going to, I'm going to have the in-laws over. We're going to cook some lasagna and, and, and garlic bread for dinner tonight. So just, I usually like to try to do like a family Sunday is usually what we do. That's awesome. I'm going to mm -hmm. let you get back to it. I appreciate <laughs> so much you taking the time out of your schedule of to spend that with us. I'm here. I love being able to, to talk with people, you know, and it's, it's just fun to be on a podcast and get to hear, you know, what other people say or what other people's responses are or what their questions are. Everyone's got different questions. And that's the thing I think people don't expect about when they go from one podcast to the next is that like, yeah, it might have like one guest might be the same on different podcasts, but they're going to be different questions. Different things. Yeah, you're kind of doing the podcast circuit right now. <laughs> yeah, I've done a couple of them. The interviewing. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. Uh, so how can people get in touch with you? Uh, the easiest way would be go to my website at uh, bmcaccountingllc.com, and you can view all the services I offer. There's a couple free tools on there. Uh, you can schedule a consult. You can do a lot of different things on my website. That's That's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. All right. Perfect. Well, I'm going to go ahead and put those links in. Everything will be updated uh, tomorrow. We are about to, I'm actually, if you can tell from my background, not in my home office. We are in the middle of mid-northern California somewhere. We're doing a college tour this weekend. So oh. we're hitting like three or four colleges. The kid is <laughs> going to have to make some decisions coming up. Yeah, so. have fun with that. I got a long time. I only have a two-year-old, so I've got some time until I got to make those choices. Yep, you do. You have some time. It goes by like that, though. I bet it does. Well, enjoy your Sunday. For those that have joined us, uh, thanks for joining. And Brandon, again, I can't thank you enough for the hour well, that you've given us. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. All right. I'll be emailing you tomorrow so we can set up uh, another cool. time. All right. That'll work for me. Okay, everybody. Have a great day. Take care.